this I'm gonna need that one. I'm gonna need that one, yeah. Nobody knew where, nobody really knows where he came from, but he was needed. The church had been going for a while, and the apostles were becoming overwhelmed by all the responsibilities that they had. And the non-Jewish um, needy people who needed food, and the Jewish people who needed food began to argue because it seemed like some were getting left out. And so the apostles backed up, prayed, asked God what they wanted, and they decided that they needed some more people to be in leadership. Stephen was one of those seven second-tier leaders. His responsibility was really as an administrator to make sure that all of the, especially widows, but the needy people were getting food every day in this incredibly expanding community around Jerusalem of people who were calling themselves Christians and had just landed around Jerusalem. He was a servant. He was in charge of making sure people were getting food. But somehow along the way, he, began, he continued to grow in his faith. And he's described in Acts chapter 6 as a person of, of power and mighty works. He was a servant. He was an administrator. But God was working in his heart. To the place that when he wasn't busy in his administrative work, he was evidently spreading the good news of Jesus and pointing people to Christ. And people were opposing him. The people in the culture, the, the people in the Jewish faith that were refusing to believe in Jesus were opposing him, but they couldn't stand up to him in arguments. And so, as so often happens, they resorted to lies and gossip and opposition. Stephen found himself on the hot seat, and he stood strong for Christ. They brought him before the authorities, and, and as he began to explain who Jesus was, he started in the Old Testament, and with magnificent eloquency, he took them down through the Jewish history so that they couldn't help but nod their heads, yes, yes, that's true, that's true, until he got to Jesus. And then he said, you killed him. The one and only who could save us, you killed him. And with that, they were, he was accused of blasphemy, and he was taken out on a hillside. From what I understand, it was a hillside, and a number of men picked up stones. But before they picked up those stones, they dropped their coats at the feet of a man named Saul. And then they stoned Stephen, and, and as he, stoning is not a, a nice or clean or quick death. And, and so as he was dying, he looks up. And he was blessed because Jesus showed up. He appeared before him in, a, in an act of assurance so that Stephen would understand that he would, God was with him. And, and he announced to those who were stoning him, I see Jesus at the right hand. Well, that just made him even madder. And he died. And the church grieved his death because he was such a powerful, eloquent man of God, not only making sure the food was distributed, but pointing people to Jesus. And everybody thought it was a very sad day. But what they didn't know, God was still in control. Amen. Stephen understood that the essence of life is about Jesus. And what Jesus is doing. And, the, and so the, the man through whom the Holy Spirit has written the book of Philippians that we've been studying was the man who was standing there taking care of the coats that day that nobody would have ever believed would come to know Christ. But they did. Because in that moment, Stephen was true to God. When it looked like the world had turned upside down and God's kingdom could not be, this could not be God's will. It was exactly his will. 
I want you to open your Bibles to Philippians, and I want us to talk about the essence of uh, the life that God created us to live that Stephen exemplified, and then Paul eventually comes to understand and live out as well. The essence of the life that God has created, the, the substance, the soul, the thing that we are supposed to be about. Philippians chapter 1, I'm going to begin with verse 18 and then we'll come back and go through. What then? Philippians chapter 1, verse 18. Anybody need a Bible? We've got some Bibles in the back. Anybody? Okay. Philippians 1, 18. What then? Only in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and with the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. And it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be, be not at all ashamed, but that with full courage, you might want to circle that in your Bible, because that's what we need these days, is courage. With full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live, is this familiar? Is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. And I wonder if as he wrote that, he remembered that day when Stephen was being stoned and he had a, a glimpse of Jesus waiting for him. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in me, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. The Bible is not a technical manual that gives you step-by-step -step linear sequential instructions, but rather it's a letter from God to us. And so there are, are themes intertwined throughout passages of Scripture. And, and, and so as I was spending time with this passage, I'm, I'm trying to pull out what, what is Paul actually saying? And, and there's so many things intertwined in it that... I'm going to try to pull it apart a little bit, but what we see is throughout the passage, there are three elements of living this essence. The first is, we have to live by God's priority. God's priority is a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. God's priority is a person. Everything about our lives has to be about Christ. Everything. Everything. Christ is all and in all. Everything comes back to him. Our, our second uh, scripture reading in Colossians identified who Christ is. I love that passage of scripture because it just details. Here's, it, in in, in a, an effort to understand all that Christ is. He's everything from top to bottom, in and out, left to right. He's our focus. He's our plumb line. He is our point of reference for every decision that we make, every, every opportunity that we have. Whatever we do, whenever we do it, He's our plumb line. When we get up in the morning, it's, it, and it, it's about Christ. As we're showering and shaving, well, some of you don't shave, but as we're, as we're getting ready, as we're brushing our teeth, as we're getting breakfast, when we eat, when we work, when we play, it's all about Christ. It's all about walking in alignment with Him. Now, now, you don't have to ask Christ if you need to brush your teeth. I just take it from me. You need to brush your teeth. Okay? And a little mouthwash might help sometimes as well. 
We, so we don't have to ask him about everything, but we are living in his presence, in his, watching and waiting in the knees and nudges, so that everything is about Christ. Every breath that we take, the priority is Christ and his kingdom ways. So that when I, I need to pay attention, if there's a check in my spirit about a simple thing, such as the route that I take to work, when he wants to prevent me from getting in trouble some way, I need, when there's a check in my spirit about what I'm about to say to a loved one, I need to pay attention to that. Because everything, the priority is about Jesus. Christ is all and everything, and thus Christ and living right side up in small ways and large, then also becomes the enemy's target. Write that down. As we strive to live right side up and moment by moment in alignment with Christ, the enemy will attack that. Because he hates Jesus. He doesn't care a lick about you, but he hates Christ in you. And he will do everything he can to try to hurt Christ and keep people away from Christ. I don't think it's an accident that, at least in our culture, in my experience, that um, the, the name of Jesus Christ seems to be the most intense, severe word used as a curse. People use God, but when they use Jesus Christ... It's like there's an intensity about it. There's a, there's a mental, emotional kind of response to it. And I don't think that's an accident. Because the enemy's purpose is to try to misuse and abuse and dishonor the name of our Lord. He is the priority. For me to live is Christ. So all of my life is the priority. I don't think for Stephen it happened like that. It's a process. It really, it really is a process. So the longer we serve him, the sweeter he grows. The more we surrender to him, the more right side up he takes us. Um, and the more he becomes honored. Um, and so we find a little bit later he will encourage them, he'll, he'll challenge them to keep going forward. So the priority is Christ, always Christ. For me to live is Christ. Everything I do when I'm breathing is Christ. Everything that I do, everything I am, everything that I think, every moment that I spend, how I spend my time, how I spend my money, how I, how I act in relationships, how I act at work, everything, how I drive my car, how I do everything, how I treat my neighbors, everything is about Christ. There's no part of living that is not about Him and pleasing Him and honoring Him. He's our priority. Number two is we need to live with God's attitudes. So live by God's priority, Jesus, and then live with God's attitudes. And this is a, not an exhaustive list, but these are the ones that um, He pulls out of this passage. This is what He highlights for the Philippians. Um, and attitude is important. Would you say, would you agree with that? Yes. That attitude is important. Attitude, um, I heard years ago that in an airplane, attitude is the direction of the nose of, of, the, um, of the airplane. It, and so if the attitude is up, that's the direction the plane is going to go. If the attitude is down, that's the direction the plane is going to go. And John Maxwell coined the phrase, your attitude determines your altitude in Christ. Amen. So attitudes are important. And I think that's why God was hammering me a while back about not being Eeyore. Because our attitude heads us in that direction, the, the direction we're going to end up in. So he highlights three. Joy. Joy. Philippians chapter 1. Hope you still have your Bible open. So let's go back. Verse 18. He says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in, in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, in, in that I rejoice. That's an attitude. Joy is an attitude. It's a, it's a choice. I can choose 
to have um, confidence that God is in control. And with that confidence, have a positive outlook. Joy. It's not feelings. Joy is not happiness. Joy is not emotion. Joy is this confident assurance and that God is doing what he wants to do, that he's going to accomplish what he wants to accomplish, and, and, and a choice to delight in what he's doing, no matter what it looks like. So he says in either way, even if, even if it's, it comes out of people trying to cause me trouble and pretending they're following Christ, or if people are truly following Christ and being bolder, I choose to rejoice. I'm going to rejoice no matter what. That's a challenge, isn't it? Because there are circumstances where I don't want to rejoice. I want to pout. Right? I want to be sad. I want to be mad. I want to... But then that takes Christ out of the equation. Because that's saying that God doesn't know what he's doing. And I do. All right. I'll let that go. I choose to rejoice, he says. And then in verse 19, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that it will turn out for my deliverance. Amen. Now what he's not saying is, I know there's going to be a happy ever after ending in this world. He's talking about that deliverance. It's, he, he, and so the the, that, the word here used is referred to either the final stage of his life or the open door of more ministry. He says, it can go either way. But I know. It, it's just like what he says in, in, chapter, in uh, verse 21. If it goes this way for me to live, it'll be Christ. If it goes this way and I'm to die, that'll be better. That's gain. So joy, joy. We need to have joy. Even as last week in the annual meeting, when I was challenging you to um, not complain and believe that God is in control of everything, and some, one of the troublemakers in the congregation said, well, what about Buckeye? <laughs> So I confess, I'm working on joy <laughs> with a beagle. It's as simple as that. Because, so we go back to the priority, right? Buckeye is not out of the picture, right? The, the, nothing is out of the picture. My attitude, my, uh, my, being, my priorities, my choices are Jesus Amen. in everything. Whether I like it or not. Whether he's demon-possessed or not. <laughs> I'm, trying to, I, I'm trying to exercise. <laughs> hope. Hope. <laughs> Second attitude is hope. The confident belief in the fulfillment of something desired. It's not wishing that something will happen. It's not and with the, up in the air. It's not wishing that my, it, we call it, I hope my team wins. But that's not hope, that's wishing. Um, hope is the confident assurance that um, what I uh, desire will be fulfilled. And so he says, that's the hope that I have. Verse 20, Philippians 1, as it is my eager expectation and hope, the confidence in the fulfillment that I will not be ashamed. That, that the Holy Spirit will so fill me that I will do nothing except glorify and honor Him. Amen. I will not be um, disappointed in my conduct or my words. He says, I have hope in Christ. But that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. We don't have to worry that we won't be faithful. All we have to do is surrender to the Holy Spirit and let Him be enough. And so Paul had faced all kinds of stuff, as we've talked about before, but Stephen, on that day, he was living in hope that Christ would not be ashamed. Because in those next moments, he, he could have recanted 
and saved his life. He could have bailed out on it, but he refused to bring shame to Christ. And so he endured with courage. He endured and God gave him all he needed. So if you're ever in that situation and you are like Stephen, you need to be able to look up and see that Jesus really is there and Jesus really is in control. He'll provide that for you. If you're looking up, if you're paying attention, he will provide because it's not about you. It's about his power, his strength to flow through you. Amen. We will be, you are going to be faced. If you follow Christ and, and your desire is to live in intimacy and alignment with him, you're going to face things that you won't be able to handle. Amen. But Christ in you, you can put your hope in. Amen. You can believe that nothing will come so hard that Christ won't be enough for you. And in those moments, Stephen was alone. Even though he had been pulled aside and he was encircled by these men who were stoning him, he had brothers and sisters standing along the side. And I guarantee you they were praying. Not for his deliverance. Not that he, he, he avoided this, maybe. But mostly, keep him strong. Lord, keep him strong. Lord, keep him honoring you. Keep him there. The last attitude, and I struggle with how to even say this, but here is this attitude that I, I referred to some last week in the annual meeting, and that is this attitude that serving is a privilege. Mm -hmm. That being used by God in other people's lives is an honor. It's not, it's not just a responsibility, but it's a privilege given to us by God, even when it causes pain. Whether it's in those high wonderful, powerful, revival kinds of moments, or if it's just in the daily grind. It's an honor and privilege. Look at what he says again in uh, chapter 1, verse 20. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed at all, but with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my life, honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And then later on, he's going to, um, he's going to go t tell us in our memory verse that he's going to choose to stay because it's a privilege and it's an honor. And, and one part of that passage that um, had struck me, I don't know if I shared this when we were talking about the, as, as a memory verse, uh, I'd never seen um, that he said, I don't know which that I'm going to choose. And the implication of that is he had a choice to make. This wasn't just wording. This wasn't just poetic utterance. This was, he's, he's telling them, uh, I don't know which I'm going to choose. So he must have had a choice. At some point, Jesus somehow must have come to him and said, I'll give you a choice. You want, you want to come home? You can come home. Or do you want to stay and continue to minister to these people. It's your choice. And Paul says, it's a privilege. It's an honor to serve. And the greatest need is for me to stay. Here's my challenge to us. Is are we able to choose in that way to serve, view it as a privilege, if it means I have to endure more pain. If it's going to cost me. If, if it's going to make me unhappy, but blessed. Am I, am I willing to do that? Um, at the annual meeting, I talked about how I sense God opening opportunities for us as a congregation to have broader impact. And I talked about a couple of pastors in the area and, and then the 360 conference. And yeah, it's great. We've got, I don't know, 15, 18 people signed up for the 360 conference. Here's my challenge, though. When you go to that, here's, our, here's the attitude. It's a privilege for God to use me. So go with this attitude. God, who do you want me to encourage or come alongside or help at this day? Not just to receive more training. Amen. That's the attitude. That's a changed attitude. That God puts me in situations because he wants me to serve. And it's a privilege, but it costs. It costs to do that. Um, Dave, I'm going to ask Dave to come up. Uh, I ask you to pray 
for the Communicators Workshop. It's called SCORE Communicators Workshop that I teach from time to time, and I did one this last week in Meadville. And I felt nudged that God, there was one slot open, and I, I sensed God nudging that Dave was supposed to be there because of what God is doing in his life. And so I, I asked him to share for just a few minutes about how your prayers made a difference in the lives of these 15 pastors plus Dave. <laughs> so uh, I did want to, I want to go back to the scripture real quick because it makes, it makes the point. In first, uh, Philippians 1, uh, 18 through 20, Start in 19, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it's eager, eager expectation and hope that not all will be ashamed, but that with full courage, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. It was, Herb had told me that um, he had asked the congregation to be praying for that conference. I got a couple messages from some of you directly to me that you were praying for me um, to be there. And I, I tell you, it, it was obvious that the prayers were taking place. I felt it in my spirit, mm -hmm. and it was obvious in being in there because I felt very intimidated going to that uh, workshop. But as soon as I walked in the door, it was obvious that God was there, and I was supposed to be there, and that we were going to be there for together. So thank you for your prayers. And I think that's one of the things that, as new song, that you do, each of you do, you may not be aware of how broad of an impact and how mightily God uses your prayers, each one of your individual prayers. So thank you for that. I watched it happen. The other thing I wanted to share about, and, you know, not one to blow Herb up too much, but... Sheila will take me down. Yeah, so. okay, amen. So will Buckeye, right? <laughs> so, the other thing I wanted to share, it was, it was very humbling and encouraging for me to watch Herb serve um, in that capacity. The other part of the passage here is, if, I'm, if for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, if I'm to live in the flesh, it means fruitful labor for me. Um, and, you know, I didn't know that Herb did all of these things outside of New Song other than him pastoring here. Maybe some of you do know, maybe some of you don't. Watching him in that environment, now, you know, Herb was leading majority of the workshop, so he's speaking, he's training, he's teaching. I, I've been in, I, that's the environment that I work in in a professional sense. Okay, so I know being, a, being the guy leading the show Kind of what comes with that. There's some ego things that can come with that. There's some control things that can come with that. I never sensed any of that the whole time. Herb's demeanor, his sense, and his actions were all out of service. Like he fully gave himself to everyone. There's individual coaching times and things like that. Tirelessly, I watched Herb give his time. And it, and it wasn't out of, I'm going to give you my time because it makes me look good. You could tell that he genuinely wanted God to work in this person's life to bring out the best in them. And there was no uh, wanting of gain from Herb himself, just pouring himself out for Christ. And that was one of the things that my takeaways from it for myself was I felt challenged and convicted to live my life moving forward that way of, hey, whatever you want, God, take it and uh, let it be. So thank you for your prayers. Mm -hmm. Thank you for your heart to serve the Lord. And I'm just grateful that uh, we get to experience that. So as you go forward for us, you know, most, most of you are going to be going to the 360 conference. That's one of those other things outside of the small C here in New Song. The 360 thing is that big C. Go in there with that attitude and that heart that Herb is encouraging. If you go, go in there not just to see what you can get, Mm -hmm. but to have the heart allow God to show you and reveal to you what you can give. Um, so thank you so much. Love y'all. Thank you. Thank you. Fifteen pastors and Dave. That's the, 
and he fit right in. I wanted to share that because um, I believe um, it's because this congregation from the very beginning has bought into kingdom work. For a number of years, there was a whole bunch of new songers who would go to youth camp and council and help out. And, and so it, it's been that way. Rotary, spaghetti dinner, and community day and all. It's thinking beyond, but, but this whole philosophy of releasing me to allow God to work in. So there's, um, so those 15, well, I think there were 13 pastors and a couple of therapists that were there representing 10 or 12 different congregations who now have pastors who are better communicators of the truth of God that will impact their communities and beyond for years to come. Amen. That's what it's about. It's not about me. It's about me serving God and others, right? It's not about you. It's about you serving God and others. Um, and so it's this attitude that serving is a privilege. That's not the way the world looks at it at all, in any way, shape, or form. But it's it, as we view it that way, and, and that's what Dave picked up on, is I'm not there because I think I'm something. I understand, as you should understand, that when God uses you, it's only because you said yes to whatever the Spirit wants to do. That's it. So how in the world can we take any pride in that? Right? So... Identifying, having the attitude that serving is a privilege. Number three, then, is to live God's choices. So God's priority, what is the essence of life? God's priority is Jesus. God's attitudes of joy and hope and serving as a privilege. And then God's choices we see in this passage. And all of these choices require that we sacrificially deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, and follow Jesus. Choice number one is to honor God. Always, no matter what, as God leads. Always, no matter what, as God leads. Stephen honored God as he served the widows. He honored God as he administrated the food, as he collected, and then whoever was in charge of checking things off and organizing groups and, and delivery methods and all. He honored God in those decisions. He honored God when he left the, the administration responsibilities and began to talk about Jesus. He honored God as he began to argue in the marketplace. He honored God as the stones began to beat him and cause deep pain. It was all about honoring God. And the enemy's lie, one of the enemy's lies, is that the small ways of dishonoring God are no big deal. A little bit of compromise here. A little bit of fudging on the truth there. A few, a few uh, uh, actions to do the things that I want when nobody's watching. And on and on and on it goes. But the difficulty is, if I make dishonoring choices in the little things, there's no way I'm going to make honoring choices in the bigger things. This is the foundation down here. That's why it's so important that we have integrity in the little things so that he can give us more and more opportunity. And, and I, honestly, that's why I think that I'm, I stand in front of people teaching them how to communicate. It's, it's just because in the little things, in the, in the little things along the way, God goes, okay, I can trust him a little bit more. I can trust him with a little bit more. I can trust him with a little more. I can trust him with a little bit more. I can now I can trust him with making a difference in the lives of pastors all across the country. Who in the world thought little Herbie Schaefer would ever do that? Nobody except God. And some of you are sitting there going, you know, God can't really use me in the doing anything significant. Start with the little things. Start with living integrity in the little tiny things, in the moment by moment things. And then God will use you. For me to live is Christ, he says in um, Philippians 1.21. To die is gain. Christ was the essence 
of his life. Pleasing Christ was the, the priority for him. And then enjoying Christ was the benefit that he enjoyed. So honor God, no matter what, in the smallest choice, in the biggest choice. Another choice is to serve people. And this ties into the attitude of viewing serving people as a privilege that leads to the choice of serving people every chance you get. Philippians 1.22, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. If I'm to stay here, then it doesn't mean vacation. I, I am amazed. I, and again, I'm not trying to toot my horn in any way, shape, or form. But I think this is the attitude that every pastor ought to have. I had pastors contacting me, different people, you know, okay, you're 65 years old, when are you going to retire? And I'm going, that's not even on my radar. Now, there were days over the last couple of years when I was really sick, and I'm thinking, okay, can I go on? And God just said, just trust me for another day. That's it. That's all. You know, it's because if, I'm, if we are alive... It means fruitful labor for Christ. Amen. If we're still breathing, it's fruitful labor. And then he goes into that choice. Yeah, which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I want, I'm hard pressed between the two. I, these are two of the greatest choices I've ever been faced with, he says. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. I can't wait for heaven. And if you read Revelation chapter 21, 22, a couple of times, you'll see why. I mean, this is perfect. No more tears, no more trouble, no more trials, no more pain, no more, you know, God is right there. I don't have to imagine him anymore. He's, everything's perfect. And Paul had an understanding of that. He had tasted that. He glimpsed that. And he goes, I know that's the best. I know for me personally, that's where it's at. But, he said, I don't, I, I'm hard-pressed because to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Amen. It'd be better for me to die and go to heaven. But as I look at you and I love you and I see what God is doing in you, and in the earlier part of chapter 1, he talks about the partnership that we're sharing and making Christ known accomplishing the mission, I know I need to stay. And I can imagine the, the enemy whispering in Paul's mind, but you know that pain that you live with all the time that you complained about three times and, and God said, um, my grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect. And the, the enemy's going, you know, that'll be gone if you choose to die. Paul goes, I don't care. I will endure the pain because it's more beneficial for you, not for me. And my friends, that's the attitude every single one of us, if we're following Christ, needs to have. That's not just for pastors. That's not just for missionaries. That's for every Christ follower. Stephen never got ordained. So in the Jerusalem Times... When you looked at his obituary, his vocation would have been administrator of food, not apostle, not pastor, not minister. He was a layman. But he was the one that God used to turn the apostle Paul around. What might God do through you? Some little buzz-haired kid named Herbie that nobody saw anything in was drawn to Christ by a next-door neighbor named Marcy Scobie. She just loved me. Brought me to Sunday school and there you go. What might happen through your life? If you view your choice to honor God first, serve people. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So that in me you may have ample cause to glory. That is to rejoice. 
in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. If you have been reading the devotional book, My Utmost for His Highest, on uh, Friday, I think it was, the third, he talked about um, hard sheep. If you haven't read it, go back and read it. Because it's not fun sometimes serving, but it's what God wants us to do. Surrender, listen, and obey is the next choice. Surrender, listen, and obey in all things. Always, no matter what, as God leads. As God leads. As God leads. In all of these, as God leads. It's not what other people think. It's as God leads. Um, of all the thousands of people in the Jerusalem encampment, it was Stephen, and Stephen alone, that was stoned that day. He didn't call everybody to all the same things, but as we surrender and listen and obey, we're walking a step with him so that he can use us as he wants to use us. And so after expressing his affirmation in how they are partnering with him and on mission with him, and, and he has them in his heart, he says in Philippians 1.27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let everything you do be representative of that. This would kind of ring a bell with the Philippians because they were, Philippi was a Roman colony in the Roman Empire. Not every city was. And so those who lived there as Roman citizens were, um, we, they could puff their chests out and say, we, we are Roman citizens. And they needed to live worthy of the name of being a Roman. And, that, and so he taps in there and goes, that you need to live in such a way that it is worthy of the name of Jesus Christ. That if people find out you belong to Christ, they'll go, oh yeah, of course. You look like him. You smell like him. You sound like him. You're living like he is. Surrender, listen, and obey. No matter what. So the results. He comes to the results. He says, if we will do that, if we make those choices, honor God, serve others, and surrender, listen, obey, moment by moment, no matter what, as God leads, then it will result in our ability to stand strong, first of all. Philippians chapter 1, the second part of verse 27, he says, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. Standing firm for Christ. In one spirit. Standing firm. Standing firm. You're going to face things, and, and we may face things in our culture in the coming years where we have to stand firm. Not for our rights, but for our Lord. Amen. Stand firm for Him. I would encourage you if, you, if you weren't here a couple years ago when I was hammering everybody about watching a movie that is <laughs> that that was slow in plot but deep and um, uh, oh what was it called Sub, um, what yeah a hidden life a hidden life if you haven't watched it go through it an individual person making a stand that has lasted for decades he stood firm simply because he was honoring God he was doing what was best surrendering and listening and obeying. Stand strong. Unity will be another result. Unity. So that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, verse 27, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Unified as one. Not uniformity, not meaning that we're all the same, but standing strong when the battle comes. Standing strong together in unity, not nipping and biting and fussing and gossiping, but standing strong together against the enemy's schemes, unafraid in the face of suffering. This is a challenging one. Verse 28, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Fear is one of Satan's biggest weapons. If he can get us to be afraid, we will do things that we never thought we would. We will make choices that we never thought we'd make. We'll hide behind things that we never thought we'd hide. We will jump at things that, that should not have made us jump. 
if he can get us to be afraid. But if he can get us to have courage that is bigger than our fear, we can stand strong. Because the enemy will try to wear away in those little things and try to get you to betray Christ. Unafraid, not frightened in anything. In anything. And then the ultimate results. Verse 28, second part of verse 28. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. Those people who stoned Stephen were so mad at him because they couldn't outwit his argument. They couldn't overcome the truth of what he was saying. And so they just killed him. Just eliminate him. Just take him out. But they couldn't deny the truth of what he was saying. And especially when Saul is standing there taking care of the clothes. And, and he goes on a rampage because something happened in his soul when he watched Stephen, heard Stephen, heard him talking about Jesus at the right hand of God that he couldn't get away, of, with, uh, away from. And so he tried to, to take it out on other people. And Jesus showed up and took it out of him. It's a clear sign to them of their destruction. Just because people get mad and forceful and try to make you do things doesn't mean they believe it. But of your salvation and that from God, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Then you know it's a privilege to suffer? Do you know it actually builds up rewards in heavens when you suffer? That to suffer for Christ as Christ suffered it's actually an honor. That's completely 180 degrees, right? Because we don't wake up going, I hope somebody stones me today. I hope somebody hurts me today. I hope somebody insults me today. I hope somebody fires me today. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now here that I still have. The same conflict that was that put Jesus on the cross, the same conflict that stoned Stephen, the same conflict that caused Paul to be shipwrecked and beaten and bruised and eventually ended up in a prison in Rome, that same conflict is still going on today. And it's not about Democrats and Republicans. It's not about American rights. It's not about Russia. It's, not, it's about in the spiritual realm, there's a war going on. And that's the one we're fighting. That's the one we need to focus on because it's the same thing that's been going on. It's a privilege. Those who stoned Stephen thought they'd won. They thought they won. In fact, oh boy. <laughs> In fact, after Stephen was stoned, Saul went on the rampage, and he actually was throwing men, women, and children who belonged to the way of Jesus Christ into jail. Some of them were dying. The church had become thousands in Jerusalem, they scattered throughout the Roman Empire. And those people, those Judaizers who killed Stephen, thought they'd won. They got rid of the church. You know what they did? They scattered the seeds throughout the Roman Empire. Amen. They played right into Jesus' hands. In fact, Jesus had said before he left, I want you to be my witnesses. Remember what he said? In Jerusalem, in Judea, which is the surrounding area, in Samaria, that's the next country over, and to the ends of the world, ends of the earth. And they, and, and so they hung out in Jerusalem until God decided to show up. Stephen was stoned, and the seeds spread. That which they thought they had won was just like the cross when they thought they had won. And Jesus shows up a few days later and goes, surprise. And you know what he's going to do in our day? Someday he's coming back and every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, and he wins. That's why we're, we have to be willing to suffer because he's given us this mission and who knows what he might do through us. Who knows what we might experience. But here's what I do know. We're not going to live forever. We're just a dot on this long timeline. And when the day comes and we walk through that, if we've been faithful to him, we get to be enveloped in his arms. Well done, good and faithful servant. This is what you've been working for. That's what we ought to be living for. That's why this is so important. Because the results are beyond belief. Bow your heads and close your eyes.
out of all the stuff that we've talked about. Priority of Jesus, the attitudes of joy, hope, considering serving as a privilege, the choices, honor God, serve others, surrender, listen, and obey. What is it God poking at on you? could be those little pieces of integrity. It could be a big choice that you have to make. But here's what I know. Every one of us here is loved beyond belief by our God. And He offers His Holy Spirit to live within us, to cleanse us, to get all the garbage out of, out of our souls, to replace with His Spirit, His joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, to fill us with that. And then to use us to make a difference in this world as we surrender, listen, and obey. He wants you to experience that. I want to encourage you just to open yourself up in, in this moment of quiet and say, God, okay, whatever. Just do whatever. I just say yes to everything. Now guide me moment by moment, step by step. Lord, we can never understand how you could love someone like us. We know a lot of our faults and frailties and blows us away. But you do. Now in this moment, would you fill us afresh with a sense of your presence and the courage, the determination to choose you, to choose serving, to walk in step moment by moment. Help us to trust you more deeply, follow you more completely, individually, but also as a church, as this new song body. God, lead us so that we can make the difference you want us to make. Give us faith to believe, courage to endure, Help us to hear your voice and to follow. In the name of Jesus, we put ourselves into your hands. Amen. Amen. I hope you were challenged.